want to just recognize my wife and thank God for her being here. Uh, she has the hardest job. She's a mother three and my wife. <laughs> and then on top of it, uh, having sick kids don't help either. So, so I thank God for her being here. No, so we um, have been journeying through the word, talking about the psychology of a believer. And if you've been with us the past three weeks, this is now the fourth week that we're teaching this. We've been talking about the psychology of believer from the perspective of Romans chapter 12. We've concluded that a believer has to submit their body to the Lord for them to be effective. And it has to be a living sacrifice. The second thing we discussed was that we have to be transformed by a renewed mind. If you don't change your mind, you won't change your life. It took a mind change for you to even accept Jesus. right? So your mind has to be transformed. The third thing we talked about was not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Some of us are too arrogant or too self-absorbed. And in order for us to be conscious of how God is dealing with us, we've had to lower our expectations or our thoughts of ourselves and think sober-minded. The fourth thing we talked about was that every member of the Lord's church has a purpose and a value. You are important. You matter. You clearly matter to your family, hopefully, if you're still talking to them. But let me just say... As your pastor, you matter to this flock. Each and every one of you. Each individual has a purpose, has a value. You mean something to me. You mean something to my wife. You mean something to Dr. McNeil. You mean something to the person sitting next to you. You matter. You play a role. Now today, I want to close this out talking about casting vision for life. Because if you don't have a vision for your life, the church is going to suffer. It's important for every member of the church to have a clear vision about what God is calling you to do, what God is calling you to be, not only within the time that we gather, but when you're not here. Who are you? And so I want to continue on that thought. And um, as we're like getting into the word, I'm going to ask uh, that you take a moment. And think about what's your vision for yourself. When it's all said and done, what do you want people to know about you when you get to heaven? What do you want people to know about you when you get to heaven? Danny's going to pass out some scrap paper for us. And the reason why I'm doing this the second week in a row in terms of giving you a chance to write this down and articulate it, I want this church to become a learning church. Right? Dr. McNeil has laid a pretty solid foundation over the past three years with all of you. And I'm sure he's been teaching you dynamically. I'm not going to stop that. I'm not going to change that. But I definitely want to elevate and push this forward. To get us to becoming a learning church, you can't just sit here and hear me talk. Right? Because I can talk your head off. Right? But I need you to digest the word of the Lord and mess around with it real time. That means we're going to pause in the middle of service at times, write down stuff, turn to our neighbors and literally talk to our neighbors for a couple of minutes, come back, debrief and get back into the word. I really want us to become a studying church, an intelligent church, because when folks ask you, why should I believe you're Jesus? You need to have an intelligent answer. And if I'm not equipping you, then I'm not doing my job. So take a few minutes. There are two things I want you to write down and focus on. Number one, what day one thing you want people to know you for when it's all said and done when you get to heaven. And the second question that I want you to wrestle with is, what's your vision for the rest of 2018? What are one or two things you want to see happen in your life in 2018? First question, what do you want people to say about you when it's all said and done? One thing. And then what do you want to see happen? One or two things you want to see happen in the rest of 2018. And as I told you last week, this is personal. I don't have the answer for you. Nobody can answer these questions but you. But it's important that we find the answers to these questions. First question, what do you want people to know about you when it's all said and done?
What do you want people to know about you when it's all said and done? Second question. One or two things you want to accomplish before 2018 is over. If you didn't know it, it's almost Easter. And then it'll be summertime. And then fall and then Christmas will be here again. So what do you want to accomplish before 2018 is over? One or two things. the third thing I'll encourage you to do. Take a few minutes, please. I want you to stand up and go tell somebody what you just wrote down. It's weird because in church we don't get up and talk to each other. And another thing that I've noticed about church is that we don't know each other for real. We know each other when we come to church with our suits and our hats and our usher outfits, but we really don't know each other. We don't know what each other's struggling with. We don't know what's each other's on each other's mind. Take a few minutes and share with someone, preferably that you're not sitting next to, what you wrote down so that they can get to know you and you get to know them. Come on, y'all. Y'all know what Acts 2 says. We fellowshipping right now. Come on now. This is part of the fellowship. Tell somebody. Anybody. Somebody. church is a good church so talk to me instead of telling me what you wrote down because we'll come back to that what did you learn in general about the person that spoke to you what did you learn about or from the person that shares something with you you don't have to repeat what they said but what did you what came to mind when they started sharing with you about what they want to accomplish Yes. <laughs> Folks want to be closer to God. What else did you? That were more similar than you. Come on, say that loud. That were more similar. I can't hear you. That were more similar. She said they were more similar. That's interesting. We go to church and think that I'm not like so and so, or they don't understand me. What else did you learn from the person that shared with you? Yell loud at me. They were concerned about God's lordship over their life. Huh. That's uh, Carl Felton. He's another gentleman that I invited to church today. Please give him a hug after church as well. They concerned about God's lordship over life. What did you learn when you when somebody shared their vision with you? 
Same vision. Same vision. Same vision. Anybody over here? What did you learn? Uh, what, what came to mind when somebody shared their heart with you? So, um, I, I think sometimes we get caught up in so much giving and not so much receiving and worried about other people rather than worrying about ourselves. Huh. And um, just, just um, like I said, it's, it's, it's more of a giving thing than it is a receiving. And sometimes we kind of get lost in that yeah. and, um, and, and, and don't take care of our own needs because we're so busy worrying about everybody else. Yes. Facts. Anybody else over here, anything that you've learned when somebody shared with you that came to mind? Anybody? Why do you, why do you, why do you say that? That's powerful. Because, you know, I want God to bless you and I want their hearts to hate and just like in your heart. So continue loving that person no matter what they've done to you or what they got against you. That's a word. That is a word. Thank you for sharing that. The reason I asked you to do that is, as I said, in church, we don't spend enough time getting to know each other. How was it possible to grow a church and to replicate what Dr. McNeil set set up for us in terms of fellowshipping and engaging and sharing if we don't get to know each other? I'm willing to bet, and I'm not a betting man, but I'm willing to say that a lot of us don't spend enough time with each other outside of church. Now, how many times do you text the person next to you? If you do text. How many times do you call the person next to you? How many times do you tweet or Facebook the person sitting across the aisle from you? This is probably one of the few times you've gotten the chance to know somebody. You've probably been sitting next to them for years. We have to continue to break down these walls, church. When folks come to this place and there's going to be no room for people to sit, there needs to be a feeling of comfort and safety that y'all talked about last week. Last week. Feel the love. But you can't love somebody that you don't know. And if you got beef with somebody, how is it possible to forgive them if you don't talk to them? I was just talking to Carl yesterday. I was telling him, man, I got to learn how to let grudges go. Because I got some grudges I'm holding on to since I moved here. I need to let go. And when you let go of them, you start to feel like you can love folk. Now, this ties into our message today about vision casting for life. We need to have a vision personally as individuals in order for God to truly use us. I'm going to be coming out of Habakkuk chapter 2. This is a very familiar scripture about vision casting, but I really want to dig in. We're going to take some time to learn about ourselves even more as we go back to our scrap notes, so don't lose them. But this is what Habakkuk 2, and if you have a Bible, Habakkuk chapter 2, I'll be reading verses 1, 2, and 3. And you're hearing Habakkuk chapter 2. And next time, I'll be sure to uh, put the scripture on the screen going forward so that we can read it together. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. When you have it, say amen. 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 All right. Here is the word of the Lord. I will take my stand at my watch posts and station myself on the tower. And look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Now, what you need to know about Habakkuk is that he had beef with people and he wanted God to fix it. And like most arrogant church folk, we tell God about the person that we don't like and we try to weaponize God. We try to use God as our weapon to get back at people. Because now that we save, we can't just walk up and punch somebody. <laughs> so we think the next safest thing to do is deploy God to get back at somebody that we don't like. That's not how God operates. But this is what, what Habakkuk was doing. In verse 2, uh, the Lord answered me. He said, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. So whoever reads the vision has something to go on and move forward. Y'all follow me? Verse 3. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens 
to the end, to its due date. It will not lie. Your vision for your life is not a lie. Because it didn't come to pass now doesn't make it a lie or false. It's still unfolding itself. If it seems slow, verse 3, wait for it. Come on, church. If your vision is moving a little slow, the Lord said, wait for it. It will come. And it will surely come. It will not delay. Vision casting for your life. Setting a vision takes up a whole lot of energy. It takes a lot of energy because casting vision is a mental exercise. It's an intellectual exercise. It causes you or requires you to think, to process information, mostly in your mind. Now, as a strategist, I will always tell you to write down the vision because without it, there's no way to know that you're getting closer to what you want to accomplish. But before you start writing down stuff, we all know this. We, we vision a lot faster than we write. You know, when you get up in the morning, you think about what you want to accomplish throughout the day. What? It's a vision of what you want to see at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 9 o'clock. Go back down, wake up at 6 o'clock and start all over again. It's, it's a vision. Visioning takes up a whole lot of energy. If you didn't know, your brain takes up 5% of your body mass or size. But it uses 20% of your full bodily energy. That's amazing. A small part of your body uses 20%, one-fifth of all the energy that you got. How is that possible? When your mind is going, it draws on the energy that's used in other parts of your body. Your blood flows to your mind and back and forth because it's moving back and forth. You're, you're thinking about this, you're thinking about that. Visioning is a tiresome exercise. For some people, they stop visioning because they just don't feel like it. And think about those people who just don't feel like it. Where are they at today? What are they doing with themselves today? What have they accomplished today? Nothing. When your mind stops working, your body stops moving, you're accomplishing nothing. So before we get started, you have to embrace the idea that doing this, what God says to do in Habakkuk chapter 2, takes a whole lot of energy. You ever get home after working all day and you've been thinking all day and you wonder why you're tired and you really didn't physically do anything, but you're just tired? It's because your mind's been running. Going and going. This is the type of energy you need to start visioning the future. Now, when you start to envision things, what you're actually doing is thinking about things that you cannot see, but you believe it can come to reality. Envisioning means dealing with information that may not be tangible. I can reach out and touch Sister Tolan's hand. She can touch me back. That, that's tangible. She can squeeze my hand. I can squeeze her back. It's tangible. But it's different when I say, hey, hold my hand, and you can't really grab me. That's not tangible. That's what it's like to envision when you're processing information and you can't put your hand on it. When you begin to say, I want to bake a cake, in the beginning is not tangible. After a couple of hours, after prepping, after mixing, after baking, the cake becomes tangible and consumable. But before you get to the consumption part, it is not touchable. When you are envisioning and when God is giving you a vision, just know you cannot touch it. You may not be able to see it, like literally see it the way you see me. It's a mental exercise of how you can put pieces of a puzzle together even though you may not know how it will fit together. Visioning is hard stuff. It means letting go of what is tangible for what you cannot see. It sounds awfully familiar to what God calls faith. Faith is the substance against the total touch of my hand. Faith is a substance of things I hope for. I don't have to hope to touch your hand. 
it's happening. If I stand over here and say, Tolan, touch my hand. Now, we got to do something to get that to happen. So I hope to touch a hand. And it happens. Faith is the substance or the substandard or the the substance of things I hope for. Now, a substance or substandard is what I stand on. A subfloor is what I stand on. Under this carpet is a subfloor. That's substance. Faith is the foundation I stand on to begin to hope. And it is the evidence of things I cannot see. When you have faith that God is going to heal my body, yes, Lord. I'm standing on a foundation that may seem invisible to the naked eye, but is a substance of things I actually am hoping for and the evidence of things I cannot see, but I know I will see. So when you submit a prayer request, it's a request in faith because there's a substance to it that nobody else can see. Now the question is, what's the substance? For most people, the substance is what God has done for me yesteryear. Come on, church. Even if you're still developing your faith in God, God has done amazing things in your life for you. Think about the time he saved your life when you didn't expect it. Think about the time you were out of money and somebody put some money in your hand. Think about the time you were out of food and somebody dropped off a whole bag of food. Think about those moments when God has done something for you unexpectedly. It builds your faith in him and it creates a substandard for you to stand on. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things is not seen. This is what visioning requires. Faith. In order to cast vision, you must have faith. Faith in God, yes, but faith in yourself, faith in other people. Why does that even matter? Why would you even do something if you don't believe you can do it? Why pursue it if you believe you don't have enough to make it happen? You got to believe that everything that God has been doing to you, for you, and through you all these years have to mean something. Every trial, every test, every heartache, every disappointment, every success, every high, every low, everything has had a purpose to create the person we see today. Amen. Do you believe in that? Some of us are still treating ourselves like trash. We don't believe in ourselves. We don't see good in ourselves. For what? What you're saying is, I don't believe that God's creation is worthy of a vision. I told you a couple of weeks ago, you spend more time with yourself than anybody else. What you say to yourself has a deeper effect than what anybody else can say to you right now. I can say something nasty and negative, and you won't see me for a week, right? But you can speak to yourself negatively year after year after decade after decade, and you become what you speak. To have vision, you have to have faith in God because He is God and faith in who he has created me and is creating me to be and faith in the persons that I spend life with. Your family, even if you're beefing with them right now, there has to be some sense of faith in them because God could use them to bless you to help your vision come to reality. When we talk about letting hold of grudges, letting go of grudges, loving folk, creating a safe environment, the intentionality behind it is to say, I believe one day you might bless me. Or if you forgive me, I can bless you. That's the intent of creating a family, a fellowship, and a community church. Faith in God, faith in others, faith in myself. But there is difficulty that comes with casting vision. When you start to cast vision, people will start to look at you differently. People will start to feel uncomfortable with who you are becoming. Because vision begins in the mind and it manifests there in the mind, it's not tangible. 
You can't put your hand on it. You can't mess with it. You can't mold it. You can't see it. It's not like a Lego or Play-Doh. Right? It's, it's not tangible. It's not something you can mold and see and say, here it is. That, that's not what vision is. And because vision stays in the mind or in the head area, people who are not in your mind will find it very difficult to keep up with what you're doing. When you begin to develop a vision, your family will start to distance themselves from you. This is when you start to hear comments like, she thinks she all that. Or, he thinks he's better than us. Or, they forgot where they came from. Here's the truth. I didn't forget. Because every time I go visit you, you remind me where I came from. Right. <laughs> Y'all ain't saying nothing to me. Amen. <laughs> this is when people start to say those things. It creates a separation. And it's not personal most most cases. But it's because people can't mess with what they can't see. Okay. And perhaps they have good intentions. And perhaps your family means well. But when they can't see what you're working on or what you're envisioning, it's difficult for them to feel a part of the process. Mm-hmm. It's very hard for people when they can't control something or can contribute to something for them to feel like they are part of your journey or your growth. Mm-hmm. And they become severely insecure. And it creates tension in relationships. They begin to question why you're pursuing what you're pursuing. They begin to question why you spend the time that you spend on your vision. They begin to criticize why you're moving this way and why you're making that decision and why you're doing that. They begin to figure out ways to sabotage you. Maybe not intentionally, but it happens. If you ever felt that or experienced that, know that don't take it personal because the vision begins in the mind. For the Second Baptist folks, there's a mind game. It begins in the mind. And folks will begin to feel some type of way about it. But this is what you got to do. You have to stay focused on what God is speaking to you. Because the vision, really, is communication between you and God. We started church this morning saying that I can't pray you through a situation. If you're going to depend upon me and my wife and whoever we bring in to help and lead to pray you through, I, I'm sorry, you're going to be sadly mistaken. Like I'll pray for you and I'll believe. But honestly, it's a conversation between you and God. I can't spend all night at the hospital with you. Would love to. I just can't. It's one of me and what, 40 of y'all? I, I just can't. It's a personal relationship. And it's not just like that with your prayer life. It's with your vision life too. This is why you got to keep people out of your mind. Stop ceding psychological control to other people about what God is speaking to you about. Don't let folks make you feel guilty about the vision he's pouring inside of you. Don't let people have emotional control over you because they can't understand why you're doing this and why you're doing that. Why you're changing this and why you're changing that. It's none of your business. Now I could tell you. I really could. But I'm not sure you can handle what I'm going through right now. I'm just not sure. And so therefore, I am no longer going to release my emotional control over to you. It's done. And if you're going to do that, you got to embrace the fact that they're going to talk about you. They're going to look at you sideways. They're going to say she thinks she's better than. He thinks he's holier than. He don't fit with the family no more. He don't come around like he used to. You're right. I don't. I know I've been. Come on now. Right. I've changed. I've transformed. My mind has been reset and renewed. I am no longer the same person. When my mind changes, everything about me changes as well. Be transformed by the renewed mind that I may prove the good, perfect will of God. God's vision. Begin to get comfortable with people distancing themselves from you. It is okay. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, my wife and I moved here to do just that. To distance ourselves from the 
culture of New England. Now, mind you, I've been here for three years and I've spent time embracing the culture of New England, trying to understand it. But quite honestly, there needs to be a move of God that we haven't seen in a long time. I'm not suggesting that my wife and I are going to create this revolution that's going to super cross Connecticut. That's not really my style. But what I will tell you, whatever piece of that move that God's going to have me to do, I will do it. Amen. Amen. Y'all are quiet on me. Whatever piece of that movement God will have me to do, I will do it. I will do things differently. I will not follow status quo. And I'm not scared of what people may say. Because they've already been saying. They will talk about you, whether you do what they want you to do, or when you don't. So read my lips. I don't care. I I don't care. I'm sorry you feel uncomfortable, but... I just don't care enough. I'm sorry I made you feel that way, but I I just honestly Mm -hmm. don't care enough. As Pastor McNeil said two weeks ago, I mean, I'm cool, but, you know, I ain't no punk. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I don't care. This is the attitude you got to take on when you are envisioning your future. People will try to rob you of what you are trying to do. And most times people do it because they want company in their own misery. What you do creates jealousy. You want to know why? Because it proves the faults of somebody else. Y'all ain't saying nothing to me up in here. When you look different from your siblings and you act different and you get something different, it makes them look bad. Well, why don't you do what so-and-so's doing? I don't like that. So therefore, I'm going to sabotage you so we can be on the same playing field. Read my lips. I don't care. Touch your neighbor and say, I don't care. Tell your neighbor, I'm going to work tomorrow and I'm going to tell my supervisor, I'm going to tell my coworker, I don't care. I love you. I really don't care. I will support you. I really don't care. It's not my problem you're struggling with what's in my mind. Because it's me and God going through this. It's personal. It is truly personal. I have no right to tell you what God said or didn't say to you. Now, I can give you scriptural wisdom, but it's personal. Those things you wrote down on your paper, that's personal. That's God trying to get you to a whole nother level. I'm not going to prophesy to you about money or health, or wealth, or whatever the case may be. Whatever God is putting on your mind, that's the prophecy. And I didn't utter not one word. You don't need a prophet. They're great. Trust me, they're great. You can prophesy to your own self. Dig deep. What has God been telling you to do? It almost reminds me of what God was telling Peter to do in Acts chapter 10. After he truly got converted, after Jesus died, and he's been a Jew all his life, he had this vision all of a sudden that he now can eat all types of food. And whatever God created is now considered clean. He had to have a vision three times in order to get full release. Let me help you. Sometimes God's going to have to repeat the vision over and over and over and over again for you to get the fact that you are released to obey. Don't you know what Peter was envisioning was against the culture? It was against truest tradition to eat all types of meat. And now God has given him this vision that says all meats are consumable. You no longer have to judge folks for what they eat. You don't have to judge them whether they follow tradition of the Jews. Now you are released to love people freely and accept them into the household of faith. As you may have read in scripture, that didn't go over quite well with his counterparts. But look at what he said. I'm a paraphrase. I don't care. (laughs) That's, that's, That's what he said. I don't care. Because it becomes a question now. Whether you agree with me or you agree with God, here's the question that you got to answer. Do we obey God or do we obey man? 
Do I obey my crazy neighbor who don't got no sense at all? Or do I obey the God of all gods who's speaking to me through signs and wonders, visions and dreams, circumstances and solutions? Do I obey my crazy sibling who can't get themselves together? Or do I obey the God that saved my life many, many years ago? It becomes a deep theological question. Who do I listen to? Who do I spend my time with? Do I obey my co-workers who really don't have a vision for themselves? Or do I obey God? Who knows that I'm worth way more than what they're paying me? It's a deep theological question. I don't know if you have the answer, but let me help you. We obey God here. At CFC, we obey God. It's a God thing here. You got to allow yourself to be released to obey what God is telling you. Let's dig into the scriptures because now... After we got all this stuff out the way, and you have a foundation to vision, let's figure out how to do this right. Habakkuk chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 1, we already know that his purpose for asking God for something was ill-gotten. It wasn't based on truth or Christian principles, or what we call Christian principles. But look at what he says here in 2 and 1. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. We think we know how God's going to speak to us. Here's the reality. You don't really know. When you first got saved, God spoke to you a certain type of way. It was pretty consistent, and that was part of my story too. The first couple years when I really started accepting Jesus, and I really started seeing God move in my life, God was speaking to me like audible. Just as you can hear me, I heard God speaking to me. He told me about my wife. He told me about my house. He told me about my car. He told me about my job. It was consistent, and then things went I got to find a good word. Things went um, south, I'll say. You can fill in the blank. (laughs) Things went south. And God didn't talk to me the way that he used to. I wasn't hearing his voice the way I was used to him speaking to me. We can get like Habakkuk and get really comfortable with God. Set up in our perch and wait for God to speak to me because I made a request. God is not your weapon. God is not your weapon of war. You don't wield God to do what you want him to do. No, it's the other way around. We are the clay. He is the potter. God does not do what we want him to do. He is not a genie in a bottle. Just because you're mad at somebody, you cannot deploy God to get back at somebody. That's not how he works. Now, he will be just. He will respond to unjust activity. But he's not your weapon. He's not there for that purpose. He's not there to respond to everything you request either. Everything that comes to your mind may not be of God, and He does not have to respond to that foolishness in your mind. Y'all ain't saying nothing to me today. He does not have to respond to some of the foolishness that's in your mind and in your heart today. Some stuff does not come from God. Some stuff comes from you. Some stuff comes from the enemy. Some stuff comes from the people you listen to. And then some from God. Everything you pray for may not be of God. The Bible says that's praying amiss. You're praying for the wrong thing. So you can consume it on your lust. Everything you ask God for may not be of Him. And it may not be His will. But then it takes us into verse 2 because that's when God responds. God doesn't even respond to the complaint that the prophet had. I'm just going to ignore the stupidity and the foolishness of what you just said to me. And this is what he says in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. And the Lord answered me, write the vision. At some point, 
after you've gotten over yourself and you realize that you cannot weaponize God, God is going to challenge you to write the vision. At some point, the information that you've been processing in your brain has to come in from your brain down to pen and paper. Write the vision. What we did this morning was an exercise, a brief exercise of writing the vision. It takes time to write a vision. A vision sometimes does not even make sense when you first get it in your mind. It has to be molded over and over and over again. You want to know why? Because God's thoughts are not your thoughts. His ways are not your ways. God is awesome. And I'm just little old me. So I'm trying to fit as much of God as I can in this little old frame, and it's hard to do. And I only got a finite amount of time to do it. The Bible only promised me three scores and ten. That's 70 years old. And to try to fit as much God as I can in that time frame is difficult. So write the vision. Get it out of your mind as fast as you can because your mind can't handle that much God at one time. Write the vision down. Then he says, make it plain. Don't, don't give me this grandiose perspective about what you're going to do. I'm going to be a millionaire in two years. I mean, it's possible. It is possible. Here's the reality. That might not be what God is saying to you. God might not be speaking millions to you, but he may be speaking financial freedom to you. I didn't get enough amens on that. He may not be speaking millions, but he may be speaking financial freedom. For those of you who are in significant debt, financial freedom is like being a millionaire. Y'all are really quiet on me. If you have zero debt, you are rich. And perhaps that's the vision God is speaking to you. Not millions, not a Rolls Royce, not a mansion set on a hill. Perhaps freedom from burdens. But you won't know that until you write that thing down and wrestle with it the way Peter did. Write the vision down. Make it super simple so that a child can understand and process it in their own limited information and wisdom. For this church to go where I believe it can go, where Dr. McNeil believes it can go, y'all have to have a vision for yourself. Every person has to have their own vision for themselves. Not necessarily the church, themselves. Because the church is made up of a collection of believers that come together. Our vision is simple. Create disciples, give them Jesus. That's easy. Jesus set that vision, so that's already done. But what's your vision? What's your vision? How can God use your vision to expand the kingdom? Your vision cannot be about you. Come on. Amen. It is not about advancing your life. While comforts are great, your vision is about a bigger God who's working a whole system and you're just a part of the system. How does your vision align with the kingdom of God? We don't have enough Christians in leadership. We don't have enough Christians in management. There are not enough Christians at your job. How can we expand the kingdom of God where you are? There are not enough Christians in your community. There are not enough Christians in your shopping centers. How do we use the vision God has given you to expand the kingdom of God? What is it that you wrote down you want to accomplish this year? And how can God use that to expand the kingdom? I'm not talking about creating a bloated church with a bunch of people who come in. That's cool, but that's not what I'm talking about. Advancing the kingdom means sharing the gospel and a new person added to the church daily, such as should be saved. How can God use the vision He's giving you to advance the kingdom? This will not be, and this is a prophecy, this will not be a selfish church. 
This will not be a prideful church. This will not be an inward church. This will be a giving church. This will be a loving church. This will be a growing church. This will be an envisioning church. This will be a serving church. In order for us to get to that, you need to release the vision God has given you. So we can advance the kingdom. Here's the rest of verse 2. He says, write the vision, make it plain on tables, so that he may read. He who reads it can run with it. If, if you have expectations of people and they're not fulfilling them, it's because you didn't write the vision down. If you have expectations of people and they are not fulfilling it, it's because you did not write the vision down. And it's because you didn't make it simple. We are easily disappointed by people who don't do what we don't want. When, when they don't do what we want them to do, it's because they don't understand what we want. Write the vision. You want your prayer life to grow? You want God to respond to the things that are on your heart? Write that thing down. Say it out loud. What is it that God is speaking to you? You got to speak it. You got to write it. You got to communicate it. God does not respond to what he does not hear. Am I losing y'all? He doesn't respond to what he cannot hear. We expect God to fix everything and we have not prayed not one time. We didn't write down what God is speaking to us not one time. How is that possible? How is that possible? If you expect stuff of people, write it down. Make it plain. Communicate. This is what vision casting looks like. And when you start to master this stuff, you will notice people pursuing you even more. You will notice that people want to know more about your God. And the place you worship. And the place you fellowship. They want to know more. When you start mastering what God is calling you to do, to cast vision, people will want what you got. And it won't be out of jealousy or hate. It'll be because people notice something in you that they need for their lives. Write it down. Verse 3. We're almost done. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. We have to become patient. We are church folk who want immediate results all the time. And if God don't answer our prayer just like that, well, you ain't pray right. You ain't, you ain't asked the right way. You didn't do enough backflips in church. Time out. You got to be patient because the vision will accomplish itself when it's intended to be accomplished. It's us who actually waste the time. Think about the things in your life in the past that you've desired of God. and He actually did it. Think about how long you waited. And think about how long it really actually took. It really didn't take that much time. It's because in the moment we feel so anxious and we're full of anxiety that we realize or we think that God is taking forever to answer a prayer. No, God is right on time. The old folks used to say he's the slowest man that is always on time. Always on time. It is not God's job to speed up time for your benefit. Perhaps God is waiting for you to get some stuff in order. Perhaps God is waiting for faith without works being dead to be in action. Perhaps God wants you to release something that you've been holding on to in order for the vision to come to pass. Maybe he's waiting on you. And if you spent more time putting your faith in action, if you spent more time getting yourself together to fulfill the vision, perhaps you wouldn't feel like the vision is too slow. Just maybe, just just maybe, if you just stayed in your lane, you'll realize that God is still moving at a fast pace on your behalf. 
Just maybe. Amen. Just, just maybe. Okay. If you stop hating on folks at the job, he'll speed up the promotion. Okay. Just maybe. Okay. Food for thought. Just maybe you stop being an angry person, your family will reconcile with you. Oh. Just, I don't know nothing about anybody in this room. But just, just maybe. You said I'm sorry. You can reconcile with people you really love. Just, just give it a thought. And that vision will come to pass just like that. It's us who hold up the vision. Amen. The end time, when the vision is going to be released, many times it's waiting for us. It's waiting for you. What are you not doing? What has God told you to do years ago that you still haven't started yet? Mm-hmm. And yet you're still begging God for a release or an increase? Mm-hmm. What, what is God waiting for? Yeah. This is personal. Mm-hmm. I wonder, the things you wrote down, how long ago did God tell you to get that stuff done? Mm-hmm. How old is that vision that you wrote down? Mm-hmm. Is it one, two, three, four, five years, six years old? Mm-hmm. God's been pressing you to do this thing for years and you still haven't done it? Today is the day we release vision. Today is the day you got to leave this place knowing that you got some work to do. You got some steps to accomplish. You got some people to let go of. You got some emotions you got to let go of. The stress, you got to let... You know what? Here's what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4. For those of you, Philippians chapter 4, for those of you who are struggling mentally about how to move forward... God is trying to get you to move your life forward. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. I mean, verse 8, if I'm not mistaken. He's trying to get you to go to the next level. And he's waiting on you. Think about this. He says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. You know what? Let me start at verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Everybody that is around you needs to know that you are a level-headed believer. That you're not angry, that you're not crazy, and that you're not off your rocker. Everybody needs to know that you got some sensibility to you. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone that the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious, verse 6, for anything. Stop carrying around the anxiety in your heart. The stress in your mind, let it go. Perhaps that's part of the reason why your vision is delayed. You're stressed out. Let it go. Come on, y'all. Let it go. You're going to tell folks you don't care, and you're also going to tell yourself to let it go. Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Speak to God about this thing, and allow God to speak back to you. And the God of all peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But here's the key to releasing the vision. You have to have the right mindset. We talked about it three weeks ago. Be transformed by a renewed mind to prove the will of God. What do I need to be thinking about, Pastor? He says it here. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true. Now, flow with me here. Not lies, not fake news, not innuendos, not rumors, not gossip. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just and righteous, whatever is stand up, whatever is the right thing to do, whatever is just, whatever is pure, not tainted, whatever is holy, whatever is set aside, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence and if there's any worthy praise, let your mind consume these things. Let go. If you allow your mental capacity to be used to think about negative things as opposed to the things of God, you will be stalled in fulfilling your vision. And there's no prayer that I can pray to get that off of you. 
There's no laying on the hands for that. That's personal. Whatever you think about, you will become. Whatever you think about will consume you. Think on these things. Habakkuk 2.3 closeouts like this. For still the vision awaits this appointed time and it hastens to the end. It will not lie. God did not lie to you. That time he woke you up in the middle of the night to give you something to do, something for your future, something for your family. He didn't lie to you. That wasn't fake. That was real. It's coming. Do you believe? Are you getting out of the way? Are you doing the other things that God has put on your heart to do? Are you letting go? Are you telling folks, I don't care? In the meantime, God is saying, I didn't lie to you. I didn't make this up. It will not lie. If it seems slow, this is what Habakkuk says. This is what the Lord is saying to Habakkuk. If it seems slow, wait for it. If it's taking its time, chill. Relax. Don't, don't come to me asking for prayer for release. Don't, don't do it. I, I'm not God. I don't have a special coin to unlock God's speed. I, I don't. If it's taking his time, relax. He didn't lie to you. It will surely come. It will not delay. Take a few minutes. Peek at that vision statement you wrote for this year and for the end of your life. Lean over to your neighbor and tell them what you're going to do to get out of the way. Tell your neighbor what you're going to do to make sure you accomplish the things you need to accomplish so you don't feel like God is taking his time. Just tell somebody. Just lean over and tell them, I am going to do what? Tell your neighbor. What are you going to do? After this day is over, I'm going to do so and so different. What are you going to do different? Y'all ain't talking. Come on, talk to your neighbors. What are you going to do different? I know y'all ain't perfect. What are you going to do different? Starting starting today, what are you going to do different? Because the vision is written down. What are you going to do different? The reason I asked you to talk to your neighbor is because we have all these things in our mind and we don't have anybody holding us accountable. We don't have people checking in on us to see how we're doing, how far or have we gone. One of the things that inspires me the most is when people ask me, well, how, how's your plan working out? Because it gives me a chance to talk about it and to talk about what's going well and what's not going well. You need somebody to hold you accountable. Perhaps you need to consider getting coffee with the person you're sitting next to a couple of times a month just to check in and see how things are going with the vision you share with me. How can, how can I pray for you? And you know what makes it good about this place? Is that everybody's trying to be on the same level. And this level is this. I want to hear from God and fulfill the vision he's given me. That's being on the same level. That makes that conversation so much easier. It's hard to talk to folk who don't have a vision. It's hard to share the depths of your heart when people don't understand how hard you got to work. Let let me just share this with you. My my wife is in the process of uh, wrapping up her PhD. There are things things that she don't have to say to me that I already know because I've been there. When I was going through getting my doctorate degree, there were things that people who were in my cohort, only they will understand. When I was going through, she understood and made the conversations easier. We didn't see eye to eye on everything, but she understood the premise. It's hard to talk to somebody with a high school diploma, no shade, about the difficulty of getting a PhD. It's extremely humiliating getting a PhD. I don't think anybody's ever told you that. It's humiliating. They tell you how much you don't know. That's what I graduated with a degree with. I learned how much I really don't know. And to go from thinking I knew everything to knowing absolutely nothing was crushing. 
but it made it easier talking to somebody who was on the same level as I was. This place needs to become a safer place. Schedule time with your neighbor to talk about what you're working on, what God is saying to you, what you're putting your energy behind. Because the kingdom needs that vision that God is giving you. And if you're not checking it with somebody, it leaves the opportunity for the enemy to step in and discourage you and to rob you of your mental and emotional and spiritual stability. Check in. And that was a crash course in vision casting. Amen. Amen. There's so much more we're going to 